Well, good morning. It's, it's a pleasure to be with you. And it's my opportunity now to just, it's a full day as it were. <laughs> I'm smiling because normally if I go to another church, you know, some churches I go to, to to preach, I have to lead the whole service. Whereas here I, I would just come and preach. But today I'm doing the whole thing with help from Linda and the team. So then, you are here this morning. And as I was praying about today and what I should bring, Chris obviously had set me up nicely because we're going to be looking at Ephesians. And Chris mentioned two things in his uh, sermon last week. He talked about revelation that leads to relationship and presence that releases God's power. So power and presence and revelation and relationship. Then, of course, he looked into Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. And I must admit, it's one of the chapters I like myself. But what I want to do is go back before we go forward, because I'm going to look at Ephesians chapter 2. But Paul, when he wrote this letter to the Ephesians, the book kind of splits down into two. The first two chapters talk about our position in Christ. And then the second two chapters talk about our practice in Christ. And in chapter one, Paul reminds us of our position in Christ. He says this, the fact that we are chosen in him before the foundation of the earth. You're not an accident. God purposed that you would be in his kingdom. The fact that we have been predestined, I chosen to be adopted as sons and daughters in his kingdom. That is not an accident. The fact that we've been redeemed through the blood of Jesus and our sins are forgiven. The fact that he has lavished his grace upon us. These are the things that Paul mentions in the first chapter The title of this message is The Wondrous Cross. And the reality is this, that Paul, after the sublime language with which he finishes Ephesians chapter 1, that Jesus is named above every name that is to be named not only in this world but that which it is to come, he kind of brings us down to earth with a bump when we come into Ephesians chapter 2. And this is what we read. As for you, you were dead. In, your tra- in the transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by very nature deserving of wrath. But God... Even when we were dead, I love that, I was going to stop there, but God, I love that. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. I do love the but there. There's some buts you don't want, but this is one but you do want. Because up at, yeah, <laughs> this is one but you do want. Because up until chapter, verse 3, everything's pretty dark. But because of his great love for us, 
who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he may show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's good to know that God didn't just save you to send you to heaven. He has a plan for your life. So, let's just go back to the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1, and look at our condition. Dead in our transgressions and sins, organizing our lives apart from God. That was our condition. In fact, Romans... Paul said it in the book of Romans, he put it like this. Because we organized our lives apart from God, we didn't give any thought to him. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Friends, people sometimes think that it's the things that you do, you know, if you don't do bad things, then you know, and you're a nice person and all of that kind of stuff then you're okay. But God says this, if you organize your life and you don't put any thought for God into it, then you are godless. And godlessness always leads to wickedness. And if you were to read Romans chapter 1, verse 18, you see there's a progression. That when people leave God out of their lives, then they don't have any boundaries. Then they can do what they like. And there's a, a progression downward. Paul goes on to say that we were living our own life under the rule of the dark, of the ruler of this age. In other words, we were not looking to God. We were doing our own thing. I put it like this. Driven and directed by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful proud of life. Or put it another way. We were driven by appetite and need for comfort and sought to self-medicate that need through things like overeating, things like sexual sin and immorality. And let's just define that. You see, we have a society now where it's all right to sleep around, but the Bible doesn't teach that. It says if you sleep with someone that's not your husband, it's called fornication. Well, that's adultery. But if you sleep with someone you're not married to, that's called fornication and adultery. You know what that is? It's not God's best design for us. Pornography. Ooh. What's that all about? Seeking to get intimacy 
without commitment. False intimacy. Being driven and competitive. Now, in our society, people say that, yeah, you've got to have drive. But you know what? People who are generally driven and competitive are looking for something. They're looking for affirmation. So they drive themselves. They're workaholics. You see, it doesn't look as bad as the sexual stuff. But it's trying to meet an unmet need. Academic career achievement to meet the need for affirmation. Nothing wrong with academic achievement. Nothing wrong with developing a career. But if deep, deep down you want to hear well done, and that's why you're doing it, then you're trying to meet an unmet need. Or you're living out of anger and rage and bitterness and woundedness. I think it was Lisa McGuinness says that most of us live out of our reactions to things. You see, I said to the Lord, I really want to bring this message this morning because this isn't one where I can whip the people up. This is heavy stuff because we're talking about sin. We're talking about the stuff that we get involved in. And this isn't comfortable to preach. But that's where we were. And whether you self-medicated in ways that looked socially acceptable, or whether you self-medicated in ways that were self-destructive, whether they were attitudinal sins, or sexual sins, or appetite-driven sins, it doesn't matter. The fact is this that you had two needs that God, only God can meet. The need for affirmation and the need for nurture. This is what Paul said. He says this, Ephesians 2, 3. We were by nature deserving of wrath. We by nature were deserving of wrath. And if we stop there, this would be a very depressed morning. It would be very depressing. But friends, I want you just to take a moment and just think about some of that stuff. Because you see, God sent his son to deliver us from that stuff. And God is a merciful God. And that's why Paul goes on to say, verse 4, the great turning point. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. While we were doing the stuff, God had a plan to get us out of the mess that we're in. Paul echoes this verse in Colossians chapter 2, 13 to 15. This is the situation. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us our sins. 
having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has, Jesus, taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Having disarmed rulers and principalities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, here's the situation. God, righteous God, made man in his image. Satan came, tempted mankind. They fell, and God had to put them out of his presence. But God loves us. We tried to cover ourselves with fig leaves. Didn't work. They had to kill an animal, and for the first time, Adam and Eve saw an animal die. And God provided for them a covering to speak to them about something else that was going to happen in the future. So God decides, hmm, how can I redeem mankind? How can I bring it back? So he looks for a man. Well, he looks for Noah, but Noah, he, he didn't make it. He, he got drunk and his kids saw him naked, so it wasn't useful. You read it's there. Abraham, well, Abraham was all right, but you know, he kind of lied a couple of times and then he, he didn't listen to God and produced the uh, Ishmael and Ishmael, the Arabs, so God had to kind of park him. Then he looks to a nation to represent himself, but that nation, Israel, continued to follow idols. So you know what God does? In the person of Jesus, he comes himself. He comes himself. He walks the robes of Israel, sinless. He experiences pain, he experiences hunger, he experiences temptation. But the scripture tells us, without sin. Then one day, on a rugged hill, this Jesus who had healed the sick, who had raised the dead, who turned water into wine, because of the jealousy of the Pharisees, but because of God's divine plan, is taken and nailed to a cross. And as they drive in the nails through his wrists, every sin that we have committed, every conceivable sin that you and I have committed, is nailed to the cross there with him. And above him is nailed the charge. But it's not just the charge against Jesus, it's a charge against us. The sin that was upon us is upon him. The punishment that should have been upon us is upon him. Jesus not only cleanses us from the sins we have committed, but also the sins that have been committed against us which are hostile to us. You see, friends, as I read this, I thought, sins that are hostile to us, friends. You see, there's some things that you do that you know that are wrong, but there are some things that you do because of what has been done to you. And those sins are hostile, particularly if you've been abused physically, if you've been abused sexually, if you've been abused verbally. If you've been neglected, if you've not had those things, it sets up a pattern of sin in us which is hostile to us. Well, Jesus came to deal with that stuff too.
So we can bring our shame, we can bring our pain, we can bring our guilt, we can bring our anger, and we can bring our woundedness and leave them at the cross. Because it's the cross that breaks the power of these things. Old hymn writer, he put it like this, Isaac Watts, born in Southampton. He said this, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ere such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Where the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Friends, it's the cross. And you know what? Two groups of people, as I was thinking about this and praying about this, and as I was, it sat there afternoon, I kind of came up with this and I had to kind of rush it together. But look, two groups in this room. One of the mistakes I think that we made in the evangelical movement is talking about the cross in terms of just becoming a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and thinking that it stops there. It doesn't stop there. The cross will continue to set you free from the stuff that wasn't confessed when you first came to him that you didn't know about. So the first group I'm gonna to talk to you, say to you for this, say this. For some of us here, you're followers of Jesus, but some of the stuff I mentioned about, you're still in it. And I'm gonna challenge you this morning to bring that stuff to that cross over there. And at the bottom of that cross, there's some paper and some pens and some nails. And what I'm gonna ask you to do is write down whatever it is and pin it to that cross. Because what did Paul say? He said that our sins have been what? Nailed to the cross. And as you pin it there, and as you make your confession, you can leave it there. And what we'll do is we'll burn the stuff after the service. Symbolic of you saying, I'm going to step away from this stuff. And then the second group, those of you who are not followers of Jesus, you need to understand something, that you are under his wrath. However, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for you and for me. And the death that he died 
and the blood that he shed will cleanse and erase and remove every sin and burden that is in your life as you come to him. This is maybe the words from you, for you. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, come to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. You see, the revelation of our position before God and what he has done to bring us back into relationship with him to what Christ has accomplished for us at Calvary will continue to work as we come to the cross. Could we stand, please? Could I have the band in, please? As we come to the cross, we can leave our sin, we can leave our shame, we can leave our pain, we can leave our past, because it's by grace, it's by grace, it's by grace that you are saved. It's not of your own works, it's from God. It's a gift. Therefore, we can be washed. We can be clean. We can be free. That's God's plan for us. And some of you are afar off, but God wants to bring you now close to him. And it's that cross that cross that the Savior was nailed on for you and for me. For some of you, in fact, for all of us, this cross will continue to be the instrument that God uses by his Spirit to bring revelation and release. When we, God reveals to us our condition, when he breaks through the strategies that we put within our lives to get through. And when we begin to realize that what God's plan is through the cross is to set you free so that you can be all God intended you to be. So that you can do the good work that he prepared beforehand that you should walk in. All right. Group number one, I'm going to ask you to do something now because we're going to get straight into ministry time. I want you to make your way across to that cross there. I want you to do some business with God. 
Yeah, get hold of the paper, write the stuff down. But this is the time for you to leave that stuff behind. And for some of you, this is really going to be effective for you, particularly if you make confession. And we're going to have some of the ministry team there. They don't know anything about you. One thing about this church is that we, we don't do shame. We don't do judgment. Whatever confess is between you and God. And that person could pronounce the forgiveness of God over you. And let me tell you, friends, some of the most powerful encounters I've had in my life is when I've come before God and confessed my sin, and Lord just said to me, ring Derek. And I got on that phone, and I just made confession to him, and he's just prayed over me, and the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon me, and I've known a release in my life because of the power of confession. Because, friends, Calvary cannot cover what we don't uncover. Calvary cannot cover what we don't uncover. So in that confession, there is release and relationship restored. Okay. Come now, those of you. And now group number two. Yeah, come now, the people of the first one, the first group. Second group are those who don't know Jesus. You don't know this Savior that we've been talking about, and you need to get to know him. That he, Jesus, became a propitiation for our sin. It's what it means is that the wrath of the anger that was against you is Jesus has taken it, and the sin has been removed and erased and atoned for. If that's you, you need to come true. So you can come and be a follower of Jesus. And know what it is to have your sins forgiven and no longer be under his wrath. But know his love and his mercy and his grace and his goodness as he comes to restore your soul. So if that's you, you come. So you can get to know Jesus. And let me tell you, put it like this. I love what RT said. He said this. He said, if you come to the gates of heaven and the person says, why should I let you in? Unless you have on that paper the name Jesus Christ crucified for my sin, you're not coming in. So if you don't know this Jesus and you haven't got that written on your paper, you need to come. So Father, bless you that this is the day of salvation. That this is the day when people will pass from darkness to light. This is the day when, as it were, the kingdom of darkness will be broken into as men and women are rescued from the power of the evil one and are brought into the light and the liberty and the freedom of knowing Jesus. The one who knew no sin, who became sin for us. The one now who sits at the right hand of the majesty on high, having made purification for our sins once for all. So that now we can come boldly to the throne of grace. To receive mercy. To receive grace. To receive forgiveness. To receive cleansing for our time of need. We bless your name, Lord Jesus, for what you have done for us. And we give you all the praise. 
in the name of Jesus. Amen.